And so we've been walking through what is this Lord's Prayer? It's a model prayer based on a new covenant relationship as a believer able to come to Father, right? Our Father. And we've seen that it's a heart level discussion, dialogue, right? Where you see his Father is Abba, which is Papa, Daddy. Father is King. Father is Provider. Father is Communicator. Father as Forgiver. Father as Protector. See, there's so much going on in this dialogue, in this time of prayer, this communication with Father, that, man, if we just blow right through it, you just missed it. We just missed it. Right? In fact, one of the things we talked about in our prayer time, how many of us, in our prayer time, the first thing we do is just start talking? We define prayer as talking at Father. At Him. At Him. At him, at him. Another opportunity for you to change your prayer. Next time you come to prayer, before you open your mouth, just sit there quietly. Don't even say anything. Change it, right? And then here's the crazy thing. When you're done talking, don't get up just yet. You might even have your prayer journal or something, and you sit there quietly and you let Father talk back. Right? Isn't that kind of crazy? To actually pray where it's more of a dialogue, and you're going to say what you need to say to Father according to the model, and then you're going to sit there and you're going to expect, confidently expect that Father, through His Word and the Spirit, can and will speak back to you. Amen? Amen. Isn't that the point? Isn't that the point? Right? How many of you have ever had or attempted to have dialogue or communication with someone at work, at home, wherever, and you just felt like, this is just one-sided? You ever try to talk to someone who you really knew deep down didn't want to hear your side? Like, they're just talking at you, at you, at you. And they won't even let you get it. They won't let you respond. They don't, or you say one word. How many of you have ever tried to respond and they come right over the top of you again? Right? And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not really having a dialogue, are we? We're, you, I, I, this happens to me all the time. And I think about it in my head. I'm like, I, it quickly dawns on me, this is not a dialogue. You're just talking at me. You really don't want to hear what I have to say back. You are just here to get your point across. You are just here to don't. And sometimes we have to be real careful in our prayer. And it's just not about dumping. Or about just about asking or venting to Father. You can do all that. But he talked about admonishing and being teachable, right? And being receptive. Sure, I can come to Father and I can lay it all out and I can be point blank honest and point blank real and transparent. But if you're going to do that, you better be real and let God be point black real back to you. Amen? Because yeah. he might just have some things to say to you about your attitude. And he might just have some things to say to you about your language and about your judgment and your criticalness of that person. But if you're just going in there and you're just going to vent to Father about how horrible this and that and this and how it's not fair and da 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 and you're just going to go in there and you're just going to blast Father with both barrels and then get up and leave? It's not the way it works in the New Covenant. You can be honest and transparent. And there's been many times when I've come to Father and said, blah, 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 and this and this and this and this. And it's like, okay, I'm done. He says, well, who wants your attitude there? Who wants your attitude? You ever check yourself? Right? What about that log in your eye? Right? And this is what we've been trying to get through and break through the churchiness and the religiosity of prayer, that this model prayer is a relational prayer. We're talking to Father. And we're letting Father talk back to us. Right? And to kind of wrap it up, one of the things that, that really challenged me in this is that this prayer, like so much of our culture and so much of how we do church, if we're not careful, 
we can do something in solitude. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. Deliver us. Lead us not into temptation. Okay, that's all in there. But if you, over the last three months, have turned your prayer time into kind of a self-centered me thing, then miss, then miss this. Because look at Matthew 6, 9, the very beginning of the prayer. We're going to conclude this by going to the beginning and the end. Matthew 6, 9 says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The very first petition of the Lord's prayer is that God's name be revered and his will be done. You see, the very first, and don't miss that, it's not an accident. The very first, the number one priority in the Lord's prayer is about God, not me. Amen? Amen. That's a check right there. Again, it's another check. When you come to prayer, who has it been about? In your prayer time, who has been the primary focus, the primary objective? You or God? Because according to Jesus in his model prayer, the very first concern of mine should be, Father, I want your name to be feared. I want your name to be lifted up. I want your kingdom and your will to be done. Amen? That reframes everything. It really reframes everything in terms of priority, in terms of heart, in terms of humility, right? It's about Him first. The Lord's Prayer begins with a petition about Him, not me and my wants and my financial needs and my health needs and my needs and my and my and my and my. No. The very first priority of the Lord's Prayer is God's name to be lifted up and His will to be done on this planet. He's the starting point. Even we talked about church. Mark, you did a great job. Thank you for, for how you welcomed us in. Even church. It's challenging. You know, the worship time, being in the Word. We want you, when you come here on Sunday, your first priority to be worshiping God. But I know the way we do church. Oh, you know, the lights, and I hope it's comfortable in there. And I hope the lighting's good, and I hope it's not too hot, not too cold. I hope they have good cupcakes this month, you know? And, and their children's program, oh, it's a really good children's program. It's a good youth program. And it's a good, and it's a good, and it's a good, and it meets us, and it meets us, and we're so happy to be here. And the people are really nice, because we feel really good. And it just, it gets so overwhelming from our end. If we get caught up with trying to meet all the needs that people come through those two doors with every Sunday, when truth be known, the number one priority for us as a church is Him. We come here to worship Him. We come here to point you to Him. And we want you and us collectively to come to church to worship God. He is the beginning and the end of our whole whole point of us giving. The whole point, please never, ever, ever, ever elevate the well above Jesus. If you're more excited about coming to the well than Jesus, then the well has become an idol to you. Don't ever do that. And if you did do that, I would feel really, really horrific because I would be like, where did I miss it? Somewhere along the line, Father, how do we elevate this 501c3 organization above Savior Jesus Christ. Right? Was it the fancy sign? Was it how clean it is? Was it the programming? How did we miss it here at the well that the well in and of itself became the thing instead of Jesus? Right? But we get twisted. We get twisted. So in the Lord's Prayer, the very first deal is about Father. About Father, right? Albert Moore says this, when Jesus petitions God to hallow his name, he is asking that God act in such a way that he visibly demonstrates his holiness and his glory. Psalm 23, real familiar verse, many of us just skip over Psalm 23b, says this, he leads me in paths of righteousness, get this, for his name's sake. You get the for his name's sake? God leads me, God guides me, 
not just to meet my every need, he does that what? For his name's sake. For him to get the glory. For him to get the praise as he leads me. But we've twisted the Psalm 23. Again, all about me, all about me. No, it's for his name's sake. It's for his name's sake, right? Alan Redpath says, before we can pray, thy kingdom come. We must be willing to pray, my kingdom go. And I know this is this is like, oh man. Part of this, I gotta know it's just the culture we live in. Is it this is it 24-7-365, especially in our culture. Our overindulgent, materialistic, me-centered, you-centered, self-centered culture that constantly on your phone, on your TV, it's all about you, 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 me, 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 me. And it has seeped into the church. And suddenly God is like this cosmic Santa Claus who is at our beck and call to meet all of our needs. When truth be known, it's really just about him. It's just it's so much just about him. It's almost so much about him that it's crazy, the simplicity of that, even hard to communicate. He, he just is. And when he says, I am, he's just, I am. He just is. And that's my heart and prayer for us as a church and you individually, that God would just be God. And you would just be so consumed with him. And that coming here on a Sunday is just an expression of being consumed with him daily. It's just an expression just an expression. Sunday should not be your end-all, be-all, like, shot-in-the-arm thing. Sunday should be the corporate gathering of people who are loving God all the time. That's why we're here. That's why we're here, right? And so the Lord's Prayer is really interesting. It starts pointing at God. And then it's really interesting because in some versions of the Lord's Prayer, it ends differently than what we just read. Now, we read out of the English Standard Version, right? But in the King James Version, some of you know it this way. Matthew 6, 13, and King James says this, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. How many of you have heard that before? Right? Right? Some of you are like, yeah! Right? What is that? It's called a doxology. It's called a doxology. What is a doxology? Doxology is two Greek words, doxa and logos, right? Doxa means glory or praise. Logos is word or speaking. So a doxology is glory saying. It's a glory saying. And so I love the King James Version because you start with God and you end with God. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. It's about you. Right? That's what I love about the King James. You're like, well, why isn't it in the ESV, and the NIV, and those other versions? Is it okay to say that? Right? Okay? And that's a legitimate question. Now, let me just say this. There's nothing, not anything unbiblical about that doxology. In fact, it's rooted in 1 Chronicles 29, 10 to 13 says this. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Amen? Amen. Right? So, that's where it comes from. So it's okay to say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Why do some versions have it, and why do others not? Kind of the most simple way I can say it, so we get it right now on the Sunday, we don't get hung up on it. It has to do with manuscripts. Okay? Essentially, the translation that you have, some of you have the ESV, some of you have the NIV, some of you might have King James here. 
your translation, your English translation, is written, comes from manuscripts. Basically, there are two families of manuscripts out there. In Buddhism, we'll be speaking very broadly, just to keep it very simple. There's one family called the Alexandrian, and one family called the Byzantine. Now, Bible scholars through the years have debated and discussed which manuscript family you should use. But essentially, the King James Version is the Byzantine, comes from the Byzantine family. The ESV, NIV, and others come from the Alexandrian manuscripts. Okay? Both families, I was reading one guy, both families 99% agree. And then there's very few things like this. The nine is a kingdom. There's a little bit of discussion and debate about whether that should be included. Okay? There's nothing, not anything non biblical about it. It's just where it comes from manuscript family. Okay? So that's kind of the short answer that I have that helps why. Oh, wow. Hmm. Okay, it's just manuscripts. Manuscripts, fundamentally. But this got to me, get me thinking about this word doxology. Right? Jordan, you said the word admonish. It's not really a word we use much anymore. Well, doxology. Doxology. What is a doxology? And how does that even apply in 2019? Right? Well, it's interesting. In the New Testament, there are doxologies, glory sayings. In Jude, it says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Feel that doxology? It's all about him. It's all about wanting God to be glorified. Oh, lift him up, right? Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's to him. To him. To him. That's the, that's the heart of the doxology is it's to him. Right? Now here's the crazy thing. And here's the question for us today. Do you live, is your life a living doxology? Is your life a glory thing? In the way you live your life, if somebody at school, at work, here, listened to you and just observed your life, would they go, man, that's a doxology right there. I look at Mark's life and that just glorifies God. Is your life, is my life a living doxology? In fact, I came across this quote, man, and it just says a zinger. It says, if your theology has no doxology, your theology is idolatry. Woo! Okay, let me translate that for you. If you're coming here to fill your head, and it doesn't come out in your life, you missed the boat. If you think that coming to church and following Jesus is about more academic information, more theology, more going deep, going to deep, and going deep doesn't manifest itself in more of a God-glorifying life, maybe it's idolatry. Maybe you're more concerned about getting deep than following Jesus. Right? You read through the Gospels. Who were the most people that were the most excited, most enthused about following Jesus? The uneducated, the blue collars, right? Who were the ones that were most resistant and most self-righteous and arrogant? Those who went deep. The religious leaders that wanted to be deep. But then Jesus comes along and tells a parable, and the, the blue collars, the fishermen, and you know, the the highways and byways people are like, dude, really? I'm in! And they would jump for joy. They could run back to their city, tell everything about Jesus. They were so excited. And their life was a doxology. And everyone was like, dude, wanted to debate because it had to be right. And you got to be real careful about that in the church. Super careful. That thing deep. 
becomes the thing that's your idol. This was not given so you can get more information. This was given so you would experience literal supernatural transformation. That's why we study this. That's why when you come here, we open this and we give you a ton of scripture. This is not, not, not for information's sake. Mike, when we were at um, the Wesleyan Church, I asked Mike, because he told me one time, hey, you know what? We used to give out half-page sermon notes. And he, he said, hey, I, I've kept all of them. I'm like, really? Can I see them? So he, <laughs> remember that, Mike? He came and, and he had a half-page sermon notes from our Saturday night services when we were Saturday nights. He had saved every one of them and it was like three inches thick with a rubber band around it. And I was like, really? We've covered that much stuff? He goes, yeah. I'm like, what are you doing with this? Three inches of sermon notes. Nicely rubber banded. What are we doing with it all? What are we really doing with it all? And this is where we've got to be so careful, right? I love this. If your theology has no doxology, your theology is idolatry. Maybe that's, maybe that's for someone here this morning. Maybe it's for someone listening. You're so much into the latest podcast and the latest book and the latest conference and the latest this and the latest that. And God, Father's like, but what are you doing with what you already know? What are you doing with what you already know? And take this the right way. Because I love Bible studies and I love this. Some of you don't need to go to another Bible study to get more information. Some of you need to go to a Bible study where you're around some brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to look you in the eye and say, so what are you doing with that, buddy? What's God put on your heart? Where's Father challenging you? Where are you being admonished? Because come back next week and I'm going to ask you the same question, how you did on it. You see, it, it's kind of like that Thanksgiving analogy where how many of you at Thanksgiving have eaten way too much and you're just gorged? Anyone got to that point, right? Tryptophan kicks in. You're like, right? Okay, take this the right way. That's the American church. We come and we gorge ourselves. Sunday sermons, podcasts, books, Bible studies, and all we're doing is eating and eating and eating till we get literally spiritually obese. And we can't even get up off the table. Yeah. You've got to be real careful about this, guys. You've got to be super careful about this. And that's why, that's why we're ending the Lord's Prayer kind of circling back around with doxology. The Westminster Confession of Faith, some of you may have heard that, says this. Ask this question. What is the chief end of man? Here's the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So some of you might actually be challenged with purpose. Meaning in life. Why are you here? That's like one of the most profound, deepest questions that we all have to answer. Why are you here? What's your meaning? What gives your life significance? What's your purpose? We talked about, you know, wouldn't it be really cool if you got really saved, like somehow God really knows you're saved and he would like beam you up like in Star Trek? Boom. Right to heaven. Don't have to worry about all the stuff on earth anymore. But he's, Jesus is like, no, I'll keep them there. I have a mission for them. Right? They're, they're my ambassadors, salt and light. Keep them on the planet. Just protect them from the enemy. So if we're intentionally kept here on the planet, what's our purpose? What's your, what's your real deepest meaning? What gives you meaning when you get up? What gives you purpose when you get up? Why are you here? Why are you here? Right? And it kind of goes back to this doxology. Because at the deepest root level, especially as believers, if I purpose in my heart that my purpose on this planet is doxology, to be a glory saying for Him, everything makes sense. How I handle my money, how I want another, why I come to church, why I go to Bible study. Everything in my life makes sense if everything in my life is to bring Him glory. 
Because sometimes I think as Christians we live very disjointed lives. Well, that's my work, and this is church, and this is my ministry, and this is my money, and this is my time, and it's very disjointed. And we kind of bounce around and bounce around and we try to figure out, where's the, where's the hub of this? How do I make sense of all these disconnected things in my life? The hub is to be a doxology. The hub is to purpose in your life that the number one purpose in your life is to glorify God. And then everything you do, down to the smallest detail, is connected to that and makes sense. It just makes sense. Right? Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your, everyone say my, let my, let my light shine before others so that they may see my good works and give glory to who? Me! No. No. Give glory to who? Father. Not to the well. Not to me. Look, I love that verse. This is this could be like honestly one of those foundational life verses for some of you. You you memorize this, memorize this. Make that your prayer every morning before you walk out the door, before you get out of bed, before you like literally take a step out of bed. Make that, Father, today I want my light to shine before others so that they might see my good works and give you the glory. Right? Do we need to? We're good. Okay. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, to all, do all to the glory of God. Everyone say whatever. whatever. Ooh, careful. Whatever you do. That could mean where you're going for lunch. It could mean the smallest details in your life. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, I love that because, again, it unifies my whole life. If I have these little things in my life that are just my, my world and my kingdom, and this is my little stash, and God, you understand that I got my thing, but I give you 90% to glorify you, now you're living a compartmentalized life. When you come to Jesus, there is no more 10%. You all come to Jesus. Amen? And it's all for his glory, right? I love this verse, 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim. Everyone say that. Okay, that's a very important word right there. If you, have, you want to circle it, if you're comfortable, circle it, underlining. The word that in the Bible, in, in gr- grammatically, that's called a term of purpose. Okay, so it says, hey, you're a chosen race. Woohoo! You're a royal priesthood. Woohoo! You're a holy nation. Woohoo! You're a people chosen for his own possession. Thank you, right? <laughs> now, if you're not careful, that's like, come on, keep, keep giving it to me. Come on, give me more. Tell me more. Tell me how wonderful I am. Keep going, right? That's not the purpose. You are blessed with all those things. I want to say that. Okay, here we go. You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. You are all that so that what? You can proclaim, declare him. It's not about you. It's not about keep telling me how wonderful I am, Father. Keep telling me. No. He says, hey, you're wonderful so that you can go declare me. It's all about Him. It's a term of purpose. That's what I'm saying. This is purpose. This is meaning. This gives meaning to your life. This makes it all make sense. I am to proclaim the excellencies of Him. Right? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage against the soul, your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, pretty interesting in our culture, right? 
suddenly followers of Jesus are now evildoers in the United States. Kind of crazy, right? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify who? God on the day of visitation. See, it doesn't matter how quote-unquote bad our country culture gets. Our purpose remains the same. Glorify God. I have buddies in ministry and we talk. He said, hey, you know what? The crazy thing is, when it gets the darkest, it's when the light shines the brightest. As the culture continues to sink down and continues to walk away from God, independent of God, who's going to stand out? Us. But not for us, for Him. To glorify Him. Not by becoming preachy, not by becoming angry, not by wanting to debate everyone on the street corner. Just live your life. Just live your life for Jesus. Shine your light, right? And even as a church, I love this verse, Romans 15, 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That together, everyone say together. Together, you at the well, with one voice, would glorify the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's our purpose as a church even. It's your purpose individually. It's my purpose individually. And this verse says that together you may with one voice glorify God. That's the purpose of the well. Is to glorify God. Not about me. Not about the worship team. Not about how cool we are. Not about the facility. That we together, the whole purpose of this church, this whole 501c3 called Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship, number one priority, glorify God. Top to bottom. It's to glorify God, right? Now, here's the crazy thing. I'm going I'm to bring some application because you might be like, okay, what does that mean? Here's what it doesn't mean, and this is where the church kind of... It's interesting. I've done this for 30 years, and I've kind of seen the church kind of go through these different cycles and stuff. Sometimes the church defines glorifying God by all the things we don't do. Well, how am I supposed to glorify God? Well, don't do this. And don't do that. And don't do this. It's a bunch of don'ts. That's how we glorify God, isn't it? Don't, 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 don't. All to the glory of God. Is that really how we glorify God? By being the church of don'ts? Now, there are some things that we're not supposed to do. That's not glorifying to God. But what I'm talking about is when you or me or the church as a whole defines glorifying God only or mostly by what you don't do. What you don't do. It's kind of like this. If I said, hey, Mark, how's your marriage? You sure? Is it? You have to check? Because you know we talked, right? <laughs> right? Okay, so I, I, I asked Mark, hey, how's your marriage? And I say, well, he says, you said great. And, he, and I said, okay, explain that to me. How is it great? What if he just says this? Well, I don't yell at her. And I don't cheat on her. And I don't make her do everything. How many of you are feeling the love in that? <laughs> are you feeling the love? You get what I'm saying? He defines having his great marriage by all the things he doesn't do. I don't yell at her. I don't treat her mean. I don't cheat on her. Does it, are, are you feeling the love right now by all the things he doesn't do? Not too much, right? Because in your mind you're like, duh, duh. You're defining a great marriage by what you don't do, which is what you weren't supposed to be doing anyway. Am I right, ladies? Right? Oh, we get some silent. Right? That's not how you define a great relationship, only by what you don't do. But many of us in Christendom, oh yeah, following Jesus is great. Well, why is it great? Because I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this. Want to come with me? And you wonder why the world doesn't like Philip to come racing through these doors because we're out there telling the world mostly and only what we're not doing. It's really strange. 
that we have defined glorifying God mostly by what we don't do. How is that attractive to a non-believer? If that... Because here's the thing. If you're not careful and you become, you know, Johnny and Sally don't Christian, it kills your joy. It kills your joy. And now you become legalistic or you became very duty bound and you're following Jesus because I don't do this and I don't do this and I don't do this. Want to come to the well? <laughs> and be around others who just don't all week? And then we get together and we compare our don'ts. And when one of us blow it and we do, then everyone else says you shouldn't have because that's a don't. It's wacky. We flipped it. The world wants to see people who like love Jesus and are lit because they're loving Jesus. Amen? See, what I choose to don't do comes out of I love because I do love Him. Mark, what you choose to do for your wife comes out of your love for your wife, right? You do. And you do, and you do, and you're joyful, right? Out of love. Out of love, right? In fact, Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're to love. It's doing. It's not daunting. You see? You get it? You see it, right? We're to be proactively loving our wives, not daunting our wives. Same way with the church and Jesus. It's not about daunting. It's about doing. It's about loving God with our whole heart. Amen? Just love Him lavishly. Love Him crazily. And the do's and don'ts will kind of work themselves out. There's just just love. The world needs to see people in love with Jesus. And not so caught up with the don't, 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 don't. It's like the church of don'ts and the church of deeps. Both of those squash the life out of following Jesus. You've got to be real careful with that, right? Just be real careful. In fact, John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you what? Bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We're to be glorifying God by bearing fruit, not by don'ting. We're to be bearing fruit. That glorifies God, not don'ting. It's bearing, not don'ting. Okay, you got to get this. Well, what kind of fruit? Here you go. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Amen? So, let me ask yourself. Be, be just kind of like take a moment of reflection. Like 30 seconds, right? If someone has been watching you this week, knowing you're a professing believer, Has your life drawn them to wanting to be a Christian? Or has it just been daunting, duty, drudgery? (sighs) Just be honest. Because see, look at Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many of you would believe that if, this, if that fruit was manifest in your life, someone might be attracted to Jesus? You see the doing in there? That's not daunting. The fruit of the Spirit isn't daunting. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Question, how much joy is in your life? If I were to show up at your work and ask one of your coworkers, Hey, tell me about Joe. I got a survey. Scale of 1 to 10. How much joy does Joe show? What would they say? Fruit of the Spirit. What fruit are you bearing? Because you love Jesus. Right? John 15:4. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. How many of you want to bear fruit? Not just fruit. How many of you want to bear much fruit? Well, according to that verse, what do you have to do? Abide in Jesus. It's not daunting, it's abiding. 
You see, if you've lost the joy, if you've lost the enthusiasm, if you've lost kind of the passion for Jesus, ask yourself if you slid into don't mode instead of abide mode. Ask yourself. Take a survey. Ask, maybe you should wonder, if my kids, if, I were, if someone were to ask, if I were to ask your kids, hey, tell me what you see about being a Christian from your mom and dad's life. What would your kids say? Oh, it's a bunch of rules. They always tell me what we're not supposed to do. It's a bunch of don'ts. That's what I see. Really? Wouldn't you as a mother or father want your kids to go, I don't know, they just love Jesus. My, my mom and dad, they love Jesus. They're excited. They, I, I didn't even know there was a fruit of the Spirit. But that fruit of the Spirit, that's my mom and dad. Wouldn't you want that to be the testimony coming from your kids based on what they see in your life? You got to be real careful. It's a check, right? It's a check because we have to go back to what is it all about? It's about Him. It's about glorifying Him. How do we glorify Him? We bear much fruit. What fruit? Start with the fruit of the Spirit. Start with the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so here, here's what you can do. Here's how this applies, this application applies to everybody. You can choose, even before you leave here. 100% of you listening, 100% of you listening online or wherever you're listening to this, you can choose right now to make the core purpose of your life to be a doxology. You can make that choice right now that you want to be a glory saying. You just, just make the choice. You can choose. You have that freedom. You have that ability right now to choose. I choose. I choose as I sit here right now that I want my life to be a doxology. Make that choice. Now, some of us, when we have to come to these decision points, we're like, but how do we do that? And how, 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 how? Don't get, don't, don't worry about the how. The how follows this choice. Right? Sometimes you've heard this uh, saying, oh, you know, a, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. How many of you have ever heard something like that, right? Well, here's the deal. It doesn't begin with one step. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a choice. That one step is just a reflection of the choice you made. Some of you just need to choose to make your life a doxology. Every part of your life, a doxology. Now, some of you, you're doing really well in some areas of your life, and that's sweet. Other areas of your life, you're struggling. Other areas of your life, you're maybe bummed. You're kind of like, oh, man, it's so overwhelming. I want this area of my life to glorify God, but I feel like I'm in such a hole. I feel like it's been this way for so long that I don't even see a way out. I get all that. But if you're facing a situation in your life right now that is, just seems daunting, and you're like, I don't even know how to glorify God in this. It just seems like it's such a mess, okay? 100% understand that, but you can still choose. You can still make the choice to glorify God. Now you step into the mess with a different purpose. You get what I'm saying? You can step into the mess that you're facing right now, having a new purpose. I'm going to glorify God in this. I need a lot of help. But you see how the how follows the decision? But a lot of us stay on this side. I don't know how it's ever going to get fixed. I'm, I'm so far behind. It is such a mess. And, and you just focus on the circumstance, circumstance, circumstance. And you never, ever make the choice to glorify God in it and then figure out the how. You get paralyzed because you don't know how in your own understanding it's ever going to be different. Here's how it's going to be different. Make a choice to be a doxology and step into the mess with the new purpose. With the new purpose. And then seek the Lord and others in the church for the how. Amen? You come in with the purpose to glorify God and now you're reading scripture, now you're praying, now you're one anothering because there's purpose behind it. And here's the... I want to encourage you with this. Do this much. So you purpose to glorify God. Okay, God, I want to glorify you in this. I want to be a doxology. 
kind of overwhelming, kind of terrified, kind of really anxious. My heart's beating right now. What do I do? This, this much. Do one thing. Even if it feels like it's half an inch tiny. Do one thing today that moves you towards glorifying God. One thing. Everyone say one thing. You're not going to clean it up today. You're not going to clean it up. But the good news is, if you have, if you want to be a doxology, you can take a little step. And was God pleased? Because you took a little step? Was He pleased? You stepped into a mess and say, Father, I want to glorify you today. It's kind of crazy. I'm a little overwhelmed right now, but I'm going to do this today before I go to bed. And you know what Father does? Yeah! <laughs> hey, angels! a step and then tomorrow what do you do one day at a time if you do one thing one thing per day for a year at the end you'd have done 365 things in that one area there's an illustration of a pastor one time who wanted to move the church piano from one side of the stage to the other but it was a church that was very traditional, and as far as anyone knew, the church, the piano was always on this side. So he was with a dilemma stuck, because if he moved it, uproar, uproar. So what did he do? This is called the two-inch rule. Every Sunday he moved it two inches. Every Sunday he moved it two inches. To where he got it where he wanted it and no one made a stink some of you need to do a two inch rule but the motive and the purpose behind the two inch rule is I want to glorify God so you can purpose that today you can choose right now I want to make my life a doxology and father maybe it's two inches before you go to bed, you're going to take two inches. Okay, two centimeters. Okay, two millimeters. Something that moves you to the goal. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for reminding us as we conclude the Lord's Prayer series That it's all about you. The first petition was that your name would be hallowed in your kingdom and your will would be done. And then we conclude today, full circle, desiring that our lives would be a doxology. Desiring that our lives would be a glory saying. Desiring that when people see us, they are drawn to Jesus. They see Christians that are full of life. Christians that are bearing fruit. Christians that aren't consumed with self, but are consumed with Jesus. We just want to love you. We just want to love you. And, and I pray now for us as a church family and in the totality of our lives because we got a ton of stuff on our plate. We all have a ton of stuff. And Father, it's daunting in one sense to think that we can choose to glorify You, but we can. We don't even know the how. We don't know what's, how it's going to play out, but we can still choose in all the things on our plate to be a doxology. And that's my prayer, fundamental prayer today is we would leave here having made the decision, driving the stake in the ground to be a doxology. You know the areas in our life where we've, uh, we've messed up. It's daunting. It's scary. It's overwhelming. We've been frozen for years. So Father, we're going to need you. We're going to need you to advance the ball to help us in the power of the Holy Spirit to take one step, one baby step today for the glory of God. And perhaps a year from now, we'll celebrate together as we look back at 365 steps and we'll truly celebrate the miracle of a life lived for the glory of God.
and the difference it can make when our purpose is clear in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Father, we just want to take a few moments now, confess the areas that have not been glorifying to you, confess the areas where we've been consumed with ourselves. Forgive us, Father. We exercise our will right now. In these areas specifically, to have lives that honor you, to be doxologies, glory sayings. So we need you to transform us. We need your courage. We need your strength. Day in and day out in these areas. If you've thought of an area or areas, I encourage you to write it down. Make it real. And we're going to sing the doxology. Very familiar song, but now we're going to sing it as a prayer. So think about those areas that you need. You need transformed. And as we sing this song, we're asking God to be glorified in everything. We're going to open up the communion tables and just want to read Colossians 1 and then we'll allow you to come up for communion. It says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What is the basis of glorifying God, living your life as a doxology? The redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we we come forward and we take communion today remembering Jesus, remembering that even in John 17, 4, Jesus himself said, Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Even Jesus lived a doxology through his obedience to his Father's will, ultimately leading him to the cross and his resurrection. So come forward. Have a time of reflection. Have a time of just thinking about Jesus and what it means to live a life of doxology. And when everyone's been served, we'll take communion together.